All right, so we are in the middle of a teaching series where we're looking at this fascinating story in the Old Testament um, found in the book of Ruth, which is a perfect story for the Advent season. It's a perfect story for the Christmas season because the theme of the book of Luke is love. In the book of Luke, we, excuse me, the book of Ruth, we see um, love being demonstrated between the people in the book of, of Ruth, and we also realize that it points us to the love of God for us, this, this committed, tenacious, stubborn love of God for us. Now, often during the Christmas season, there's another kind of love that's sort of in the atmosphere, and that is experiencing and sharing romantic love. And romantic love is also included in the story of Ruth. Honestly, there are, <clears throat> there are parts of this passage today that that might make some of us a, a blush a little bit, okay, uh, or feel somewhat awkward about. I mean, it is not, you know, it, it's not the normal expectation for the kinds of stories that you read about in the Bible. But I love the fact that this chapter, this passage is in the Bible. It's why the Bible is so relevant to our lives today. It is a book that speaks to the entirety of our lives. No part of our lives is separated from Jesus wanting to be the center of. And the more we live with Jesus, Jesus at the center of all of those areas, especially our romantic lives, the more we experience the true life that Jesus died for us to live. Okay, also just full disclosure here, before we jump in, there are lots of principles to glean from this passage because there are so many, there are characters and all sorts of thing, things going on in the lives of each of these people. So I just want to encourage you, dive into this chapter, dive into this book, just to discover more and more of God's heart for you, his stubborn love for you. There is so much here, but my heart for us today is to focus on a specific angle of this narrative that has really stood out to me in my study of this. And that is how this story offers us some powerful insights into singleness and relationships and dating and sexuality. Now, it's definitely been a while since I personally have been involved in the dating scene. Uh, Raylene and I just celebrated 29 years of marriage, and I'm only 39 years old. So uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> 30, 29 years of marriage, I'm only, I'm only 39, so we really started, we started really, really young. Um, but, but as your pastor and uh, as a father of some 20-somethings, um, I definitely understand the uniquely challenging issues of, of singleness and dating um, in, our, in our society today. And I care deeply for each one of you. And my heart for you today is that you would hear me as someone who is for you um, and only wants you to experience what God wants for you. Whether, whether single or married, I want all of us to experience healthy and whole relationships. Now, let me also mention that if you're single and you want to be single, that's great. Really, the Bible affirms that for some, singleness is a fulfilling way of life. Jesus and Paul were both single. Being single doesn't make anyone incomplete, okay? So let's jump into this part of the story. It's found in Ruth chapter 3. If you want to turn there, you feel free to. We'll have the words on the screen as well. But let me quickly summarize kind of what's happened up to this point in the story. So the story began with a man named Elimelech, who, because of a famine in the land of, of Bethlehem, chooses to take his family to the region of Moab, which was not in the promised land. And, and, and it was a, a, an unhealthy, unwise choice for a number of reasons. In Moab, things begin to unravel. So not only does Elimelech die, but also 
his two sons die, adult children die. And so his wife, Naomi, is left all alone in this foreign land. And so she decides to go back to Bethlehem. And one of her daughters-in-law, a Moabite woman named Ruth, decides to go with her. Ruth commits herself to Naomi, even though it means going to a foreign land and being viewed as, a, as an outsider. And so these two widows move back to Bethlehem in desperate need, right? They have no husbands, they have no adult children, in, in, which in that society meant they had no means of support. So because they had no food, Ruth began to go out into the fields and glean some grain. As KJ talked about a few weeks ago, in the Bible, God has, has this provision for the poor. They, they, he, he commanded that they be allowed to follow behind the harvesters and pick up some grain for themselves. And so Ruth ends up gleaning in this field owned by a guy named Boaz, who happens to be a relative of Naomi. <clears throat> Boaz notices Ruth and he treats her very kindly, makes sure that she has plenty of food, that she's not being hassled or harmed by anyone. And we start to get this, this feeling that maybe there's some romantic interest going on here, but we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure, which brings us to chapter three where the fun begins. Okay, uh, so here we go. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Are you kidding me? I mean, really, every dad in here is thinking, this is absolutely horrible advice to give to a young single woman. Okay, put on your best outfit and go down at night to where the guys are camping out and wait until they've had a few beers and then go down, go and lie down beside one of them and uncover some of his clothes. And when he wakes up, he will tell you what to do. You bet he will. Uh, he will have no shortage of ideas about what to do. So what is, what is Naomi thinking here? Now, before we accuse Naomi of, of being either, you know, either hopelessly naive or downright evil to put Ruth in this situation, let's just kind of take a deep breath and remember that we're looking at a situation in a very different culture than ours. And let's give Naomi the benefit of the doubt, at least initially. Okay. Um, so what, what is Naomi's motive in this? Well, the text tells us, verse one, we read that Naomi is earnestly trying to find a better place for Ruth to live. In other words, she realizes that Ruth would be much better off if she was married and was being provided for. She's not in an ideal situation for a woman in that culture. So Naomi comes up with this plan that she believes could provide Ruth with a much better living situation. And this plan involves Boaz, who is a close relative of theirs. Now, this is significant because there were some Old Testament laws which encouraged close relatives to step in and help a widow by marrying her. And this was what was referred to as a guardian redeemer. And, and because Boaz was a close relative and he has been so kind to Ruth already, Naomi sees him as a very real possibility for Ruth to have the security and the provision of a husband. 
Not only that, Ruth trusts Boaz, and with good reason. He has already demonstrated nothing but honor and respect and appropriate care and concern for Ruth and Naomi in chapter 2. So in Naomi's defense, there are a number of safeguards here that protect Ruth. Not only does she trust Boaz, also Naomi tells Ruth to go at night in order to protect Ruth's reputation and to stay hidden until Boaz goes to sleep. She tells Ruth to mark the spot where he lays down so that she doesn't go to the wrong guy. That would not be good. Okay, so, so there are these safeguards. But even with all these safeguards, there are obviously some pretty, pretty strong sexual overtones in this whole episode. Which is a reminder that our sexuality is a gift from God. There is nothing in this text that hints that Boaz should not be attracted to Ruth or that Ruth should make herself as unattractive as possible so as to not stir up any of that. Okay, clearly part of this plan involves these elements of romance and attraction and that is not condemned. It's not condemned. Well, what about this part about waiting until the men have been drinking? You know, my hunch is that Naomi is a realist, okay? And she doesn't know yet how Boaz will respond. So why not catch him when he's in a pretty good mood, okay? Naomi is trying to lay out a plan that has the greatest probability for success because she wants the best for her daughter-in-law. Okay, so if that's the case, what do we learn from Naomi here? Well, in, in our society, we talk a lot about falling in love. But what Naomi emphasizes here is the planning of love. The planning of love. See, if you're a single and wanting to be married, it is not wrong for you to have a plan in place to think somewhat strategically about how you might go about meeting people with your values and interests. If you stay at home all the time and you never interact with other people or you never place yourself in context to meet other people who share your values, it will limit your ability to meet that person. Now, I know I've heard, you've probably heard people say this. I've heard people say, you'll find the right person when you stop looking. You know, um, I've heard people say that. And I know that does happen. It does happen. But I also know lots of other stories where people met because they had taken the initiative and were putting themselves in environments online or other environments where that could happen. See, Naomi and Ruth are taking some initiative as it relates to love. Now, not only that, we also see here that it is not wrong to put out some effort to look your best and to be an attractive person. Now, please hear me. I'm, I'm not just talking about physical attractiveness. I'm, I'm talking about personality attractiveness. We don't really know what Ruth looked like, but we do know her character. We know that. She was loving. She was a hard worker. She wasn't negative and demanding or complaining. She was kind. She was gracious. In fact, later on in the story, Boaz says this to Ruth. He says, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Noble character. I mean, what an amazing compliment that, that her reputation in the community was noble 
And we already know that Boaz's character was also noble. Both he and Ruth, they already have demonstrated in this story a relationship with God, a genuine concern for other people, a humility, a willingness to take responsibility, being a positive and healthy person. So for the singles who are here, who are not married and you want to be, let me just ask, what are, you, what are you looking for in a mate? What are you looking for in a mate? Are, are, are these qualities of noble character, are those things on your list? Are you looking for someone who loves Jesus? And, and let me state the flip side here. Are you demonstrating these qualities? Are you demonstrating these qualities? In other words, do you deserve such a person? If you're someone who is on fire for God, are you on fire? Or excuse me, if you want someone who is on fire for God, are you on fire for God? If there are areas of your life where your character is not very godly, where, where anger or negativity or passivity or insecurity or lust or whatever have kind of taken root, it would be well worth it to address these things head on right now, right? Pray about them. Seek biblical counseling. If God needs to heal wounds in your past, sign up for a, a Hope Abounds prayer time here at the church. Get healthy. It is important to pursue attractiveness inside and out. It's important. It's, 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 it's critically important to do that. Okay, so this, this planning and all this stuff here, that leads into this next section of this story. First part focused on Naomi. Now we're going to focus on Ruth and what she does. So look with me, beginning in verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered to Naomi. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. Okay, I'd love to know how he asked that. You know, was it who are you or who are you? You know, we kind of wonder what, how he asked, but we don't know. We don't know. So, so Ruth, she followed the plan as written. She uncovered his feet. She laid beside him and she waited. Now, I doubt if she slept, right? I mean, I doubt if she could sleep. And this had to be so nerve wracking for her. Is he going to wake up? When is he going to wake up? What am I going to say when he wakes up? She's probably kind of planning exactly what she's going to do, what she's going to say when he wakes up. So after a few hours, Boaz does wake up and he sees this woman there. It's dark, so he, he doesn't know who it is. And, and this is where Ruth, that's why he asks, who, who are you? And, and this is where Ruth deviates from Naomi's plan. So remember, Naomi had said, he will tell you what to do. But Ruth doesn't wait for that. Look at verse 9. In answer to his question, who are you? Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Okay, why did she deviate from, Ruth, from Naomi's plan? I think the reason is, again, reflective of Ruth's character. She wants Boaz to know right up front that she is not there for a good time. She is not there to solicit sexual favors. She wants him to know her intentions. And so she says it clearly. Now, what she literally says here is, spread your wing over me. 
Now, what's fascinating about this, and the author, the narrator knows this, is that this is the same word Boaz used in chapter 2 when he was speaking a blessing over Ruth. Boaz says to her, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, Ruth is intentionally using the same word that Boaz blessed her with. And what, by doing that, what she's doing, she's inviting him to be a part of the answer to that blessing. He's, in, he's inviting her to be a part of the answer to the blessing he gave which would be a whole nother topic, right? Um, prayer and blessing, where are we willing to be a part of the answer? Okay, so, but what immediately strikes me here about Ruth's response is her clarity and her confidence in it. Um, she doesn't say, oh, please, oh, please take me in. I need you to complete me. Uh, you know, all of that stuff. She does not do that. Um, there isn't a hint of insecurity here. There isn't a hint of neediness here. She's not really asking him, if you notice. She's not really asking him. She's telling him what she wants. She wants him to marry her. And she adds the reason, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. In other words, she is calling him to his responsibility as a close relative to care for widows um, in his extended family. This is not a sexualized come on. This is not a seduction this is a woman who is expressing her desire to be married to this man. And I believe Ruth shows us here in this part, he, she shows us another aspect of love, and that is the risk of love. The risk of love. I mean, think about what she is risking here. He could reject her. He can embarrass her. He can make her the laughingstock of the city. He could take advantage of her. The emotional risk that she is taking here is pretty significant, especially given her background. I mean, she was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. I mean, Moabites were not esteemed by the Israelites. They weren't. They were kind of enemies, so they were not esteemed by the Israelites. And then this is a culture where women were not, did not have equal status with men. Um, and so, so she is in a very vulnerable position in this culture, in this situation, but she's willing to take that risk. She's willing to take that risk. Now, the, this whole area, now I want to try to apply some of that to just principally to, to this area of, of dating and singleness. This whole area of love and dating and all of that, it's a risky endeavor. I mean, it's kind of risky. Sometimes you have to put your heart out there and let someone know that you're interested, knowing that they may not return that interest. They may not feel the same way. And that hurts. It is not fun. That hurts. It's not fun. But, but it's the price. It's the price. It's part of the price of finding the person to be married to. It's part of the, the price of that. There's an emotional risk in pursuing someone. There's an emotional risk in expressing interest in someone. I, I remember um, Matt Damon in the movie, We Bought a Zoo, um, and he was talking to his kids about how he had met their mom. Um, and he'd walk, he was telling the story. He walked by this window um, and he saw her through the window sitting at this restaurant and he was, you know, immediately drawn to her, but he was terrified of talking to her. And he finally got up the courage to go in and, and talk to her. And this was his advice to his kids. He said, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. 
and I promise you something great will come of it. You know, I see Ruth in that courageous category, but it was much longer than 20 seconds, right? Ruth demonstrated embarrassing bravery, embarrassing bravery for the sake of potential love. She risked being rejected, embarrassed, ridiculed, hurt, her feelings hurt. She risked all that. And that risk was worth it. It was worth it. So how do we find the bravery to take these kinds of risks? Where did Ruth get that kind of courage? I mean, it's amazing, really. Where did she get that kind of courage? I think it was because she had a strong core. She was confident in who she was as a woman, and she was confident in who God is. That's a powerful combination. Confident in who we are and confident in who God is. Knowing who we are and who God is enables us to take the risks of love because we're secure. We're secure in who we are in God. It enables us to exhibit 20 seconds of insane courage to let someone know that, that we are interested in them. Now, the other, the other aspect of Ruth's response here that I think can apply to single people today is that she was clarifying her intentions and her desires. She was very clear about this. In our culture, dating is a great opportunity to get to know someone. It's a great opportunity to get to know someone. And I think it's really, really important to spend time with this person and to get to know them in different situations, to see if there's a chemistry there, see if there's a connection with this person, see if you're attracted to this person. And by the way, texting is not the best way to do this, okay? It is not. I mean, you can't really get to know someone very deeply through, through you know, texting or Snapchat or whatever. You just can't. You need to spend time with them. You need to see them in different situations. How do they treat people around them? How do they treat the waiter or the waitress who just messed up their food order? You know, how, how do they respond when they're stressed out? How do they respond when they're, when they're frustrated? I mean, what kinds of things do they enjoy doing? What brings them life? All these things you can get to know. You, you need to know about a person to get to know them. And dating, dating is a, is a crucial and it's a healthy opportunity for this kind of information gathering. Now the whole, for those of you old enough to remember that whole I kissed gate, dating goodbye thing, you know, philosophy from years ago, that seriously messed up a ton of people's lives. Um, it just did. And the, the author's got to, I think, apologize about it now. But, but the, the idea that you shouldn't ever date, you know, you just kind of go from here to court, whatever it was, courtship, and then, you know, that, that, that whole idea you shouldn't really date, what that did, it just encouraged people to do a whole lot of flirting and then propose, right? Um, but it kind of missed this, this part of just getting to know this person, right? Getting to know the person. Dating is not something that should be avoided. It's not something that should be avoided. It's a helpful and it's a natural way to get to know someone. And let me just say to some of you, you don't have to take dating so seriously, okay? You don't have to take dating so seriously. You don't have to know that you want to marry someone before you'll go out with them on a date or take them on a date. It is totally okay to go out a few times and decide you're not really into this. You're not really attracted to this person, so you stop going out. It's okay to date for several months and then break up. It's okay to be engaged to someone and to realize this is not who I want to spend my life with and to break up with them. See, dating is a discovery process. 
It is a information gathering process. So utilize it for that purpose. Don't take it so seriously. Utilize it for that purpose. Now, I will say, what is not okay, what is not okay is to lead someone on just because you don't want to have the hard conversation. Um, if you are not that interested in this person after going out on a few dates, you need to have the courage to let the person know and to stop dating because no one, even those conversations are hard, but no one wants to be led on. No one wants to be led on. It is not loving, it is not fair to the person to just keep dangling a text every few days or whatever out there just because you're afraid of hurting their feelings. Have the conversation, okay? Have the conversation. And on the flip side, if you are interested in them, I think it's important to be honest about that. I'm not talking about telling them on the third day you want to marry them. I'm not talking about that or God told me that all this stuff. No, no, I'm not talking about that. But I do think, I do think it's helpful and important to communicate increasing interest so that you know if this other person feels the same way. And again, I realize this feels risky. You're kind of putting yourself out there, but that's part of the price of finding this person. It requires some courage, maybe just 20 seconds of courage, but it does require some, some bravery. And Jesus can give you that. Jesus can give you that as you, you continue to just be strong in who you are as a person, who he created you to be, who you are as a person, and, and being strong in him, he can give you the courage, the courage that you need to take kind of that risk in this whole area. Okay, so let's continue now and look at Boaz, how Boaz responds to Ruth's statement. So look with me at Ruth chapter three, beginning in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Now, this whole guardian redeemer thing we're going to talk about in, in, in the, the coming weeks because it's a critical theme of what he's talking about tomorrow. This is going to happen. But we're not going there right now. We're just talking about his response right here. So, so, so here, here's a young woman dressed to the nines. I mean, alcohol has been flowing. She has just expressed interest in him. Music starts playing, clothes start getting removed. You know, I mean, that's the Hollywood script of this scene, right? That's our society today. Sex has become the natural next step when two people are romantically interested in each other. But that's not how Boaz operates. He has a higher standard than the world. See, Boaz didn't take advantage of her. He didn't pursue her sexually. He listened to her. He responded to her. And he began to make plans to marry her, knowing that once they were married, once they were in this committed, covenantal, permanent relationship, clothes could start flying off, okay? Um, sex could be enjoyed as an expression of committed love. So, so Boaz shows us here the purity of love. 
the purity of love. Genuine love honors and protects this person physically and emotionally. Genuine love realizes that this person's body is not mine to enjoy until we are in the covenant of marriage. Now, I realize this perspective is increasingly viewed by our culture as being so out of date and archaic and out of touch and all of that, right? Sex is, is, is now just kind of an expectation of, dating, of a dating relationship. And that's what our culture says. In, just in, in all sorts of ways. That's what our culture says. But here's what our culture fails to realize. See, sex is not simply a fun, pleasurable activity between two people. No, sex is so much more than that. God invented sex to be this incredible, ultimate expression of love between two people who are committed to each other for life. See, sex is this amazing physical, emotional, spiritual, and psychological union between two people. This is not just Bible stuff. Science reveals this, that there's something about sex that unites people, bonds people in a very, very powerful way. Science reveals that in sexual intercourse, all sorts of chemicals are released in our bodies, Um, both men and women. These chemicals are released that create this emotional bonding, this connection with this person. That's how God created it. That's what makes it so cool, right? That's how God created it. But what happens when we bond and break? Bond and break, bond and break over and over and over again. Well, science tells us what happens. We lose our ability to properly bond. We lose our ability to properly bond. We just start looking for the next high, the the, the next adrenaline rush found in the next body that we're attracted to. I mean, more and more scientific research is revealing that porn usage and casual sex are seriously damaging our ability to experience genuine connection. These things damage our ability to actually experience genuine connection. Other recent studies reveal that living together before marriage, living together actually increases your risk for divorce, It increases your risk for abuse to occur in the relationship. It increases your risk for a less sexually satisfying marriage. See, too often, in a very legalistic way, we view sin, right? We view, especially in this area, we view sin as something that we are punished for. You know, God's, we're going to be punished for doing this. But in reality, it's something we're punished by, The activity itself, God doesn't have to do anything. It's the activity itself in this context for all the reasons we're talking about that ends up harming us. And see, God God calls us to obedience to him, not because he just wants us to miss out. He doesn't. He calls us to obedience because he loves us and because he wants to protect us from a world of hurt. That's what obedience to him is all about. And let me also say that these principles that I'm talking about here are not just for young people. You know, this this includes those of you who are dating again after a divorce or a death. See, God's standards don't change just because you've been married before. Ruth had been married before. 
And she still chose to honor God in this new relationship. Boaz was an older gentleman. We don't know how old, but he was definitely an older gentleman. And yet he is choosing to honor God in this way. There's no age limitation here on purity, on the purity we're talking about here. Okay, now, now please hear me here. I am, I am not trying to pile on the guilt. I mean, I just know the reality is many of us here, many of us here, have gone beyond God's boundaries for sexuality. And God's heart is not, it is not to point his finger and condemn us for our past mistakes. No, no, no. His heart is to call us to wholeness and healing. See, this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus' love and forgiveness empower us to start anew, no matter what we've done in our past. Seriously, it is that amazing. His love, his grace, his mercy are that amazing. No matter what we have done in our past, it enables us to start anew. Jesus' love and mercy inspire us to, 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 to be people who live lives of sexual and relational wholeness. Because, and here's what's so important, because this is a pathway of blessing. This is a pathway of blessing. Do not believe the world's lie to you that if you choose the purity of love, you're going to miss out. What a crock of, you know what that is. I mean, seriously, this is the story of Boaz, the story of Ruth, the story of numerous others in scripture and in history proclaim the blessing of choosing purity and wholeness in our relationships, choosing to honor other people rather than using them. Choosing to honor this precious gift of sexuality that God has given us. Committing our sexuality to him. Choosing to trust him with our singleness. To trust him with our singleness. And to not lower our standard in order to try and fulfill our relational dreams in some other way. Oh, I got to lower my standard if I want to whatever, be married. No, it's rather, it's, it's this invitation to, 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 to walk with Jesus and to trust him. To walk with Jesus and to trust him. Now, I, I don't know what the specific result will be for, the, for that choice, but I do know, I do know it will involve the Lord's blessing. And let me say this as well. Your story may not look exactly like you had planned. I'm guessing Boaz hadn't planned on marrying a younger Moabite woman who had been previously married. I'm doubting that was sort of on his list, okay? But that was God's plan. That was God's plan. It was a huge blessing to him and to Ruth. So don't narrow your focus so much that you might miss a blessing that God wants to bring your way. Again, the key is to walk with Jesus and to trust him. Okay, so here, here's my challenge to those of you who are single and wanting to be married. Are you just going to go along with the way of the world around you? Or are you willing to be like Ruth and Boaz? Are you willing to not be passive, but to take the risk of love? Are you willing to not compromise your standards, but to pursue integrity, and purity, and honor, trusting God's blessing and provision? Are you willing to do that? You will not regret it. You won't regret it. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we, um, we welcome you right now just to speak to each one of our hearts. 
whether we're single or married, honestly, there's stuff here for all of us. So Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you saying to each one of us about our relationships? So for some of us here, it may be this whole area of, of planning, the planning of love. Maybe God is saying, I need you to really get healthy in this area. Look at this area. Look at this neediness, this insecurity thing. Let's get healthy. And if that's you, just say, okay, Lord, show me, lead me in this. I want that. For others of us here, maybe it's this area of risk, just this idea of putting our heart out there and we've just been kind of terrified of rejection. And so, Lord, I just want to kind of pray into that for a moment. I just want to pray healing in that these places of deep insecurity that have kind of that keep us from taking a risk, maybe because of being hurt in the past. I pray you would fill those places with your love and your healing, that you would strengthen the core of each person here. We would know who we are and we would know you, who you are. And that would give us this courage to take the risk, to let someone know we may be interested in them or whatever. I just pray, Lord, for, for that core to be strengthened so we would be willing to take the risk of love Or maybe it's this area of purity. Holy Spirit, would you bring to our mind, this is all of us, areas maybe that we have just kind of forgotten about or tried to ignore, but they're things maybe we have never brought to the cross and ask you for forgiveness. So here's what I want us to do. I want you as you're just there, and if this is resonating with you, I want you just to think of any and all of those things those areas where you went outside the bounds of God's boundary for sexuality and can you just see yourself in your mind's eye you just have these you're holding all this stuff and I just want to encourage you to hand that to Jesus And as you're doing, I just confess to him, Lord, I confess all this. And I just want to release it to you. So as you're doing that, I want to ask you in your mind, what, what does Jesus do with it? Just kind of pay attention there. Have you handed it with him, to him? What does he do with it? It's gone. It's gone. He paid for the price for all of that. <laughs> so now, Jesus, what, what do you want to give to each person here? What do you want to give to them? Ask Jesus what he wants to give to you. I'm guessing many of you heard things like purity, wholeness. That's what he offers us. <laughs> it's crazy. In exchange for our sin, he offers us his 
righteousness. It's a gift. He offers us his mercy and his forgiveness. You don't have to carry that any longer. You don't have to carry the guilt of that any longer, the shame of that any longer. Don't carry it because he's taken it. So, Lord, I just want to pray. I want to pray for each one of us. I want to pray, Lord, for those of us who maybe believed a lie that, oh, because I messed up so, I've done so much and I messed up so badly that I'm really not worthy to be in a healthy relationship. I'm really not worthy of a godly guy or gal or whatever. Or I'm not even worthy for you to use me. I'm kind of on the bench now because of all that I've done. I, I pray that lie would just be renounced right now. It would be broken off of every one of us here because it is a total lie. Thank you that the cross gives us a new start. Thank you for your mercy and grace and, and, and the blessing. There's no second string here. This is everyone's on the A-team because of the gospel, because of the cross of Christ. All of us receive your blessing. And so we thank you for that. And so I want to pray for each person. I want to pray especially for some singles here who long to be married. I pray for whatever you're speaking to them about from your word, that you would encourage them with that. And ultimately you would fill them with with your spirit, with your joy, with this sense of your love for them. Pray you protect them from fear. Give them the grace to trust you with their future, Lord. We just entrust them to you, God, and all the blessings that you want to pour out. We pray for Boazes. We pray for Ruth, Lord. We just pray for all of us to be people like that in our relationships. And we need your help to do that, God. We love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your amazing love for us, Jesus. And the price you paid for us on the cross. We celebrate who you are. We celebrate who you are. And so we, we want to do that right now. We want to transition here from this prayer time into a time of singing, of worshiping the Lord. You can continue in a time of prayer. If God's still speaking to you about things or you're wanting to commit things to him, just continue in prayer. Otherwise, I encourage you to stand and let's, let's encounter God through worship. Prayer team is available. You can go receive prayer. Just why don't you stand if you would. So Jesus, we love you. We love you. Thank you for your word and your desire to be at the center of every area of our lives. And we want you to be the center of our hearts right now as we worship you. Set us free. Set us free to worship you, God.